God really got a hold of my life during my teen years. And so the student ministry is incredible to me. I believe it's so vital because so oftentimes we wonder uh, about callings on life. I think, man, student ministry is an incredible time for, for young people to begin hearing the voice of God and respond. I had that privilege. And God did some, some radical things in my life. I knew my desire in life was to pursue Him, whatever that meant. And so when it came time for college... Um, I went to went to Baylor and I majored in religion because I thought, man, God, I want to be used of you. I, I kind of sought counsel. You know, back in those days, it wasn't so uh, specific as it is now. So you got a religion degree. So I go and sign up. You know, uh, God's going to use me to to change the world all of a sudden. And I go to my first class is Old Testament. And uh, Dr. Jack Flanders taught the class. And, and uh, so I'm in there. And it comes time for our first test. So this is going to be our first college test. High school kind of breezed through, kind of did well. But this is my first college test. Dr. Flanders, I remember the, 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 the day you had classes every other day. So he, he spoke to us and he said, listen, you need to familiarize yourself with the dates. Now, the dates were all the Old Testament kings and uh, patriarchs and this kind of stuff. You need to familiarize yourself with the dates. And uh, I thought, man, you know, that's that's not that big a deal. I don't think it's that big a deal. So I went into my first college test, and I flunked it royally because everything had to do with the the dates. Now, was it Baylor's fault? No. Was it was it Dr. Flanders' fault? No. It was my fault because he had told me this is what's going to be on the test. If you just listen and do it, then you would pass the test. But did I know? I thought there would be other things on the test, so I, I did not do well on that. When we read 1 John and we study through 1 John, uh, John is laying out the identification marks of a person who is a follower of Jesus. Now, it's not rules and regulations. What he's laying out is that when God's Spirit transforms you, these things are going to become evident in your life. It's a test. And, and we've already talked about this particular issue that we're going to talk about this morning. But all of a sudden he comes back to it and he, he deals with it again. Which leads me to know that he is saying, familiarize yourself with this because it's going to be on the test. And uh, the, the, I'm calling this the marks of a true follower. The marks of a true follower of Jesus. Because there's certain marks, and this one is the one, the mark of a true follower of of Jesus Christ. Now, I look at I look through history. There's been different times where we have different marks that we associate. So, if you have a particular team you follow, whether it's the Cowboys or the Longhorns or whoever it may be, you probably have some gear that you wear that is a mark that says I am a follower of this team, whatever it may be. You may have license plates, you may have whatever it is. It's interesting to see uh uh maybe you were in the military and you have uh, something that marks that you were in the military, you wear a hat or you have a, a, something on your window that says that you were in the military. In our day, uh, currently, over the last couple of decades, what has really escalated as far as marks are in the area of tattoos. Tattoos have been around forever, but they've really taken off over the last couple of decades. And uh, people have uh, gotten tattoos. And especially, it's interesting to watch uh, like an NBA basketball game because... They they have so many markings on their bodies, but they they know what the markings are. You could ask them, what did, why did you get that tattoo? That's always a conversation starter if somebody has a tattoo. Just say, hey, uh, what's the meaning behind that? And, and uh, you know, I always thought it would be funny to have those 
Asian symbols and it really didn't mean what they think it means and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. But as I was thinking about these particular markings, the marks, I, I was curious about this. So I went online and I started reading about regret stories of tattoos. And uh, so I, I uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that's one that, that Jeff found. But, but there, let me tell you, there's a lot of them in there. But I started reading about these uh, regret stories that are there. And here's the interesting thing is tattoo laser removal has escalated over 50% over the last years. And uh, because, and you read the stories, so many people, 18 years old, I'm going to show my independence. I'm going to go get this tattoo uh, of whatever it may be. And the next thing you know, you're, you're into your 20s. You start to have kids, and they start asking you about it, and you think, I don't know what I was into when I did that or why I did that. The biggest regret is the name of a uh, spouse you used to have or a girlfriend or boyfriend you used to have. Uh, Johnny Depp, you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, he uh, um, he had a tattoo when he was in love with Winona, and it said, Winona forever. And that did not last, and so he took the N.A. off, and it says, Wino forever on his uh, tattoo. And that's what, that's what he chose to do. Mark Wahlberg, who is obviously a, a big star uh, when he was younger, uh, probably back during his musical days, he tatted himself up pretty pretty much, and he went through that regret stage of, why did I ever do that? But to teach a lesson to his children, he went in and had them laser removed, and he had his children go watch the laser removal to see how painful it was so that they would not make the mistake that he made of, of uh, all, the, all the tats. And so, I don't know, you, we'll probably be regret stories in here. Uh, how many, how many uh, young ladies got, got tattoos in the middle of the back because they thought it was so nice? And then they, then all of a sudden they started calling them tramp stamps, and now they're they're thinking, what was I thinking to do this? Many people, many people got tattoos, and then you know, young people, and they did them, and then they would go in to uh, get a job, get a job, and uh, they couldn't get a job because of what they'd done, and you know, something that was a cool marking was regrets later on. I. I, I I say that because we as Christians have had markings through the years. And some of these haven't been really just the best, but we thought they were the markings we should have. Um, when, I, when I came to the Lord, it was right out of the Jesus movement, which was a great time. But out of that movement came many things like T-shirts, you know, that this signifies that I'm a Christian because I've got a Christian T-shirt. You know, instead of Coke is it, Christ is it kind of thing. And T-shirts became very popular to declare billboards for what you believe. And then, uh, then uh, you would wear a cross around your neck or earrings or wherever they may be, or you did get a tattoo of a cross. This will let people know I'm a true Christ follower. I've got markings and We'd get into all that, or we'd put bumper stickers on the on the cars back in those days. But it was interesting as as uh, uh, these young people became a little older and got nicer cars, they went from bumper stickers to now the ichthu fish because it looked a little little different. But these are markings we thought, oh, these will let other people know that I'm a Christ follower. Today, John is going to let us know there's only one mark, only one mark that shows you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at this today. It's in 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. And if you're new to the Scriptures, it will be on the board, uh, on the screen, so you can see it. 
but uh, we're going to look at this one mark that uh, is for the Christ follower. First John chapter 3, if you're new to the Bible, First John is towards the end of the book. Go to the end and come back a little and you're going to find it. And I'm going to read through verse 24, so bear with me. For this is the message, or the revelation from God, basically. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and, truth, actions and in truth. If you've not underlined that before, that would be a good one. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command. You ready? It all boils down to this. To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that He gave us. He, he mentions here, as we unpack this a little bit, basically there's four different relational attitudes that you can have. The first one is murder. So we're going to do a little quiz. Uh, 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 you just check your heart a little bit. I, I would say there's probably no murders in the room yet, but I hope there's none. Number two, there was anger. Having anger towards a brother. And, and we know that uh, Jesus even dealt with this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, he's angry with his brother. It's though he has committed murder. So this, these are two attitudes that's rare. The third one that he deals with as we get on into the Scripture is that, this is it, indifference. Indifference is scary. You see, we, in this room, we would never murder anybody. And, and we may get angry, but it may be a flash up and gone. But indifference reigns. We just, it's not that we care very little. We could care less sometimes. We hear about problems around the world. We hear about problems in the neighborhood. And our response is this, man, I'm glad it's not me. That's indifference instead of making a difference. And, and, and uh, so there was murder, there was hatred, there was indifference. And then the fourth one he deals with is in the area of love. And that's where we're going to specifically go today. Because love is the mark I mean, you can say, well, I, I, I read my Bible, I go to church, I do all these things. But the, but the bottom line is this, is it love that truly marks you as a follower of Christ? Um, here, here's, here's in a nutshell where we're going. The marks of a true follower of Jesus is a displayed love towards others. 
a displayed love. It's not, it's not just thinking in your head, and we'll get to this. But I want to make two, two comments, and I want you to hear these because I think every Christian ought to hear these and take heed. Number one is this. If we do not love, if we do not display love as Christ followers, then we either do not know Him or we have undealt with sin in our life. If, as a follower of Jesus, you are not actively pursuing loving other people, either you don't know Him or you have undealt with sin in your life. Now, that's one thought. Here's the second one. If we do not display love, then the world looks at us and they determine that either God is not real or we really don't know Him. Hear that again, because I think this is vital. If we do not display love as Christ followers, then the world looks at us and determines either God is not real or we don't even really know Him. And they have every right to determine that. Most people have come to Christ because of another individual. Most people have been repelled from Christ because of another individual. And it's usually a Christ follower that that, that happened with. So those are the two thoughts. So now I want to define this love, and uh, and then we'll take the final exam. Five re, five things that define this love that we're talking about. The word is agape love. It's a Greek word. It is a love that I love you unconditionally. I love you by meeting your needs is basically what I do. So number one is this. Love is the foundation from the beginning. Look what it says in verse 11 there. It says, this is the message that you've heard from the very beginning. Well, what does that mean? Well, I thought about that for a second, and I went back to John chapter 13 in the Gospels. And let me just kind of read this scripture to you. This is John chapter 13, verse 31. And it says this. It says, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And verse 34 says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This was Jesus' teaching from the beginning, that it's going to be based on love. It's not going to be built on force. It's going to be built on love other people. And only this way are they going to know. In other words, it's not how many times you've read your Bible through. It's not how many times you've gone to church. It's what kind of love do you demonstrate to a world that is desperately in need of Christ. Jesus spoke it, and then Jesus displayed it. Because in John chapter 13 right here, to me, this is one of the most humbling things I could ever see. He's got his disciples around him, and right before he said that commandment, he took off his outer garment, he wrapped himself in a towel, and he began to wash each of the disciples' feet, including Judas. So often we want to say, oh, I can love the lovely, but I don't know if I can love the unlovely. You want to tell that to Jesus? The one who was going to betray him to the cross? He still washed his feet. So love was from the beginning. Number two is this. Love is action and not theory. Love is action and not theory. This is an action word. Our students that went uh, to North Pole, Alaska, just got back, and some of you bought the T-shirts. It says love is a verb on there, and, and that means it's an action word. It's not something that's in theory that we sit around and talk about, but it is something that we actively engage and be a part of. 
And that's where that verse 18 was, is that let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. It's easy. It's easy to say, I love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. But what about that love into action? If we see the need, we meet the need. And that's what we do. And so that, that is it. It's a verb. Love is on display for others to see. Listen, most people who do not come to church, they, they have no clue what's going on in here today. They really don't. We use Christianese. We talk about this book. We talk about Jesus. We talk about this kind of stuff. Let me tell you what they do understand. You're the only Bible they will ever read. And if you are loving and engaging them and meeting their needs, then they know there's something different. It's an active thing that we participate in. Love is action and not theory. Number three, love is sacrificial. Notice what it says in verse uh, 16 and 17. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? This, this love that Jesus is talking about or that John is talking about is sacrificial. Jesus laid down his life. We will lay down our lives. For many of us, laying down your life is easier than laying down the remote. You think, oh, I'll die for the world. I'll do all these things for my family. If somebody's running down the road and my son or daughter's out in the road, I'll go push them out of the way and give my life for them. But listen, what about your neighbor across the street? It's so easy. It's so easy to just sit there and do nothing instead of responding. And it is more sacrificial for us to go say, I'll lay down my life than to put down the remote and really go do something. It is sacrificial. That's what Jesus did. That's what his spirit wants to do inside of us. We, we want to see the need. We want to, we want to seek to meet the need with God's help. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? There was a man going down a highway. And what happened was he was overtaken by robbers. He was left for dead. Along comes a scribe, religious scribe. Gets the other side of the road, passes him by. Along comes a priest. Goes the other side of the road. Passes him by. Here comes what was the scriptures called despised Samaritan. And he comes along and he meets the needs. He doesn't just say, oh, poor man, I love you, bro. And, but he gets down there and he meets his needs and he takes care of him. And Jesus comes back and he said, who was the true neighbor here? That's the one who was the true neighbor. And he's saying the same thing to us. It's sacrificial. You need to be meeting the needs of other people. Only by this way are they going to know that you're followers of mine. Now, I want you to hear me over the next couple of minutes because this is, this is going to be a challenge for our church over the next year. As we begin to put together our budget for the, the new year, for you that aren't familiar, churches do have to have budgets. We have to work. We have to take care of things. And, and we prayerfully look at our budget. We had an elder retreat a couple of weeks ago. Out of that elder retreat, God just really started convicting my heart about something. And so I came back. And uh, we came back, and, and, I, and I challenged, I, I went before um, uh, our missions team, and, and I just started pushing, pushing this, and, and this was my heart's desire. I want to put a substantial amount, at least 50K plus, in our, in our upcoming budget. This is, above, this is above what we would normally just budget for, so it's going to push us 
But, but here's the deal. I want to put 50K plus, and here's what I want that money to be designated to do. I want every small group, every home group, every Bible fellowship, every group that meets, I want you to start opening your eyes and get into the rhythm of saying, God, where is their need? Maybe it's a single mom somewhere. Maybe it's somebody else that just needs help, somebody that needs their house taken care of. Some, I don't know what it may be, but I, I want to start challenging every group And this particular part of the budget is going to be just specifically to go and meet the needs that exist in this community. I I just, I can't challenge enough, whether it's a ladies group or men's group or a Bible fellowship or or our children's workers or students workers or whatever it may be, for, for us to be able to see the need and know that we're going to sacrificially understand that our finances need to go in a particular area. I want to be known. I want to be known as a congregation that give ourselves away. I really do. That's, that's, that's what I, I, I mean, when people, and I hope that's my heartbeat anyway. I think sometimes I may frustrate other people because I say, if we have it, let them borrow it. They need it. But I want us to be able to, to look as we look into this. Okay. This is, this is our objective. This is our goal. And, and we want to, we want to make sure this happens. So I'm going to challenge you. Challenge you now. If you, if you're in a Bible fellowship, small group of any sorts, you go and say, okay, let's open up our eyes. And let's see what it is. I can tell you this. If we come to the end of the year and there is still money in that line item, we have failed. We have failed. And we need to be about the business of doing what God has called us to be. And it's not works oriented. This is a display of the love of God on our community. So love is sacrificial. Two more about the love. Number four is this. Love is supernatural. Verse 24 down here says, The one who keeps his command, God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. This kind of love that I'm talking about is not manufactured. It's not something like we can sit around a table and say, Huh, how can we love? It's the Holy Spirit of God moving in us. And how we truly know we're followers of Jesus is when his Spirit starts to display himself through us as loving other people. You know, so often we talk about what are the signs of somebody that's really spirit-filled? Do they, do they speak in an unknown tongue? Do they roll on the carpet? Do they raise their hands? Do they, what do they do? I'm telling you what they do is they start to love like Jesus. That's what it means when you're spirit-filled. And so this is a supernatural feeling that God starts living this out through us. And it's unexplainable and it's an effective thing that only comes from God. You remember this? If you've ever studied the fruit of the spirits, the fruit of the spirits are, what's the first one? Love. And most people, most scholars will say all those others flow out of love. That's the avenue where all these other things flow out of. So it's supernatural that it happens. If you're taking notes, let me just kind of go back over you so so you know what's going on. Number one, love is the foundation from the beginning. Number two, love is action and not theory. Love is sacrificial. Love is supernatural. And then the fifth one is this. Love is the evidence of our life. Love is the evidence of our life. It says in verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. It's been said before, kind of an illustration. I'm going to use it myself here. But if you were to be put on trial as a follower of Jesus, And people were brought in, both for the defense and the prosecution. And you're there on the seat, and the charges against you are 
this is a follower of Jesus Christ. And they come in and start giving evidence. Would there be enough evidence there to convict you? Now, what would happen? Well, I went to church, man. I was even baptized. I even, I even did these kind of things. I did, I did this and this. No, what John is saying here, the evidence will be is supernatural love coming out of that person. That is the evidence. And that is what John is saying here the whole time. This is going to be the evidence. Now, reading the Bible is great. Going to church is great. Doing these things is great. But let me tell you, is it the evidence of God's love being poured out of you? That is the evidence that will convict. And that is what the final exam is really all about right there. So, so what? Here we go. Here's your, here's your final exam. Just three quick questions that I want to ask you. Number one is this. And I want you to hear this. Do you know for sure that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Five times here, John says, we know, we know, we know. I I sometimes believe that John wrote this letter just so that people wouldn't walk in doubt anymore. How many people do you know that are walking in doubt? Man, I'm just really not sure. I walked an aisle. I was baptized. I, I did all this stuff that they told me to do, but I'm just not sure. And I think John is saying, listen, you need to quit doubting. As you surrender yourself to Christ, these things will start to become more and more evident out of your life. So the question I ask you today is, do you know for sure? And I'm not saying to create doubt. I am saying to create assurance in you. Because notice what it says here in verse 23. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. The supernatural love coming out of you because you have put your faith and trust in the only God there is. And we do that through Jesus Christ. Can you say beyond any doubt that you know for sure you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Number two, who are you to love? Who are you to love? And I know the easy answer. I'm to love everyone. You know as well as I do, when we say everyone, that means no one. Oh, I just love everybody. I just love everybody. Do you really? How's that tangibly being lived out? Who specifically is God saying, this is who I want you to love? I've put you in this position right now in this job that you may hate, but I got you here because there is someone that needs my love and only you can be there to demonstrate it. There's some student at your school that you're going to be the only one to demonstrate that love to them. And that's why God has you there. Who is it? As you live in your neighborhood, who is it? In your rhythm of life, God, please open my eyes up to those that I'm around and show me who I am to tangibly love in your name. And you you will be surprised. And here's the other thing. The more you love in that way, the more you want to love in that way. The more you love, the more you are going to want to love in that way. Pray for God to open your eyes. Look around you. Third question. Is there a heart attitude towards someone you need to correct? Is there a hard attitude you need to correct towards someone? You know, one of the best ways you can demonstrate the love of Christ is to forgive somebody. When Jesus was on the cross, he, I don't think any of us have been nailed to a cross in this, in this room. He's nailed to the cross. He looks down and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
But how many of us in this room are carrying people around on our souls because they wronged us somewhere? One of the best ways we can demonstrate love to a world that desperately needs to see the love of Christ is that we're not carrying a grudge around on them. We're willing to forgive. Well, Mark, that's not easy. You don't know what they did to me. You're right. Jesus knew exactly what they did to him, and he forgave them. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm telling you, it's biblical. It's what we're called to do to bring forgiveness. So do you know for sure you're a Christ follower? Who are you to love? You know, we can say every man, but I'm telling you, I hope every man translates into somebody. And then is there a hard attitude towards someone that you need to correct? Let me wrap this up. Notice what it says in the Scriptures. I think it's incredible. It says that uh, verse 13 Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, why do they hate? I mean, why would they hate? you got to think about when the demonstrated love of Christ is present, what does it do? It shines a light on your own darkness. And they will hate you. I'm I'm an A.W. Tozer fan. He's a a dead guy. um, But he was a great, great preacher and great to read. And I was reading some Tozer the other day, and he said something that I wish I would have said, so I'm going to say it. I will give him credit, but it's, it's so good. He said, I want to live my life in such a way that I can hear the enemy roar. I thought, wow. Because you see, Simon Peter said, the, the, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Tozer said, I want to live in such a way that I can hear the enemy roar. Man, that is incredible. I wish I'd have said that. But I'm telling you, am I willing to live it? If I'm going to demonstrate the love of Christ to this world, I'm going to hear the enemy roar. And Tozer went on to say, he said, so many Christians are not even walking in lion country. What he was saying is so many Christians have become so much like the world that the enemy, they're not even, they're not even going to hear him roar because there's no way in what they're doing. I want to be a church that the enemy roars at. I know, I know who wins. I mean, we, we sang it today. I mean, victory is going to be ours. But while we're here, we've got a task to accomplish as long as we're here. I want to read something to you, and this is, this is my last thing. One writer, I thought, man, this is, This is good, so let me read it. He saw people love each other. And he saw that love made strenuous demands on the lovers. He saw that love required sacrifice and self-denial. He saw that love produced arguments, jealousy, and sorrow. He decided that love cost too much. He decided not to diminish his life with love. He saw people strive for distant and hazy goals. He saw men strive for success and women strive for high ideals. He saw that the striving was often mixed with disappointment. He saw strong and committed men fail. And he saw weak, undeserving men succeed. He saw that striving sometimes forced people into pettiness and greed. He decided that it cost too much. He decided not to soil his life with striving. He saw people serving others. He saw men give money to the poor and helpless. 
He saw that the more they served, the faster the need grew. He saw ungrateful receivers turn on their serving friends. He decided not to soil his life with serving. And when he died, he walked up to God and presented his life to him, undiminished, unmarred, unsoiled. The man was clean and untouched by the filth of the world. And he presented himself to God proudly saying, here is my life. And God said, life? What life? Listen, we can stand before the Lord someday and say, God, we hid out in the church. Look how clean we are. And I think he's going to say, life? What life? John says it, and it's not like we can argue with it. He says this, it's going to be your love that you have for one another. I want you to pray with me. Listen, just bow your heads with me a second. Listen, I can't. I've been wrestling with this message all week. Is I, man, I've had to do soul searching. Is there anybody that I'm not forgiving? Is there anybody that God has called me to serve and I haven't gone and served? Is there a Judas in my life that He has called me to go and wash their feet? I don't, I don't know. I've been praying all week long, but I'm praying that You will allow the Spirit of God to examine you. And for the person in here that's really walking in doubt and confusion, they're not sure they're a follower of Jesus, that, you know, that the Bible is so clear that, uh, that we are saved through what Jesus Christ did at the cross in His death, burial, and resurrection. And we put our faith in the living God and, and we, we ask, God, come, I desire to follow You. Lord, forgive me. God, I need You can't do this life on my own I'm broken I need a savior and I love it that he is so faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and then not only that but to inhabit us and to live his life through us so if you're here today and you're saying Mark that's what I need teach me how to pray that prayer listen I love what D.L. Moody said he said when a man needs Jesus nobody needs to teach him how to pray you cry out to Him. And in just a minute, there's going to be people up here on this prayer team and maybe you just need to come and share with one of them, hey, that was my prayer today. <clears throat> and listen, I, I, I want to challenge the rest of us just a minute. I, I really pray, I hope you'll join me in this prayer. God, open up our eyes to what is going on around us. And then, Lord, let us see the need and meet the need. Maybe we've done enough Bible studies and it's time to do Bible application. Lord, I pray over the next few moments that you would speak to us clearly, that we will respond in obedience. God, it's one thing to hear, it's another thing to respond. Only have we heard when we obey. So Lord, give us the boldness to obey. 